Welcome officially to the What Moves Her presented by Cole Banker Commercial virtual meetup. Additionally, uh, welcome to our CRE with CVC Worldwide podcast listeners. As you know, I'm recording this for our podcast. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Christina Ballas. I'm the National Director of Strategic Implementation for CBC, and I'm going to be your host today. We are exploring how women in commercial real estate can grow their business, specifically by working with local governments. As you know, we care about shrinking the gender gap in our industry for professionals and investors alike. And while this call is absolutely focused on those that identify as women in our network and our industry, we of course are welcoming to all and we appreciate all of the allyship across the board. We want this call to be of value, so please feel free to post any questions in the chat. Come off mute to ask a question too. It's absolutely casual in that way and Veronica is super helpful and excited to take any questions. I am excited to be joined by Veronica Malelos. She's a CCIM designee. She is a commercial realtor in the greater Orlando area. She will serve as 2025 president of the largest district in Florida, CCIM, the Central District, and recently completed the Wharton School Executive Program in her community of Osceola County, Florida. She served as commissioner on the County Planning Commission for 10 years with the last three years as chair and served as a trustee for the county's Education Foundation Charter School Board. She's currently serving on the county's Board of Adjustments. As a realtor and real estate investor of 20 plus years, she is a leader in her local state and national realtor associations. She's a graduate and alumni of the Leadership Asiela and a graduate of both the Florida Realtor and National Association of Realtor Leadership Academies. She is the 2024 chair of NARS Commercial Research Advisory Board and she's proud to be an RPAC major investor for 10 plus years. Her personal notable transactions include a land sale for the $12 million portfolio of Stevens Plantation, St. Cloud, Florida, where she was mentored by 2014 Land Realtor of America, Ben Crosby, CCIM. She negotiated and completed the land sale of Cameron Preserve, a 200 unit multifamily site, completed 100% pre-leasing of the Nalty Road Retail Village, plus the office lease for Florida Congressman Darren Soto, industrial flex leases for five value technology and automotive companies, and handled sales of investment real estate. Holy moly, what an amazing list of accomplishments. I have been lucky enough to know and see Veronica on panels at the NARC5 CCIM Summit and have gotten to know her through the OTSA Women of Influence list and group that we're both part of. So, Thank you, Veronica, for joining us and taking the time to talk to uh, the women brokers on this call to understand how to work with local governments. But before we get into all of that, I'd love for you to just give the group a summary of your background, of your career path and journey, and um, kind of what brought you to where you are and knowing how best to work with local governments. Sure. And once again, I want to say thank you for inviting me. I'm just so honored and thrilled to be a part of your group and your podcast, Christina. And of course, so honored to be a part of the group that where we met, the OTSO Influential Women's List. So just a little bit about my story. So I am an immigrant from the Philippines. I moved to this country in 1989. And believe you me, it was not a pretty journey. I say that because I was going through a divorce and it was a very difficult divorce. And like most Asians, I started in California. And thankfully, I have four sisters who are American citizens. And of course, they embraced me throughout that very difficult time of my life. 
So I moved through many states because I was living with my sisters who at that time were living in different states, but eventually they all moved to Florida. And I went to New York City to actually take care of an aunt who was very, very sick at that time. Uh, she had stage four bone cancer and I we lost her a year later. But let me tell you this incredible, funny story about how I got into real estate. So I'm in New York City and I'm looking out the window and I see the East River. We have had a very beautiful view. And Carlton Sheets actually came on an infomercial. I don't know if you, if any of you even know Carlton Sheets, but that was a long time ago in the early 90s. And he was talking about real estate and how you can make money off of it. I was just so very curious about that. And I think that it was Carlton Sheets that actually sort of prompted this idea that I probably should go into real estate. And so I did. And when I moved to Florida, it was actually after 9-11, and I took up investing in residential real estate at that time, eventually became a broker and owned my own shop. And then, of course, 2008 happened and everything, the bottom fell out. And so I was thinking to myself, what am I going to do? And so I continued on as a broker. I actually ended my residential real estate career as a broker for three REMAX offices in my area. And at that time, I started to do my volunteer work with the Realtor Association, local, state, and national. And through that, uh, I was president of the Osceola County Association of Realtors in 2010. And after that, I joined Leadership Osceola, which a lot of the states, I believe counties, actually have their own, own county leadership program. And so I joined that, really made a lot of headway as far as building a network in a community. And it was then that I was actually invited to participate in a request for proposal for the Stevens Plantation commercial properties, which was owned by the local city of St. Cloud. So that's actually how I moved from residential to commercial. Let me tell you, at that time, when I got the call, I was like, uh, are you sure you're calling for me? Could it be another broker? Are you mistaken? It was a call that was coming from the city manager of the city of St. Cloud. And so they said, no, absolutely. You made an impression on the city manager and he would like to know if you would participate in that request for proposal. And because I was a residential broker, I thought to myself, well, I'm not going to pass up the opportunity, but I will get a mentor. And that's how I was mentored by Ben Crosby, CCIM. He's also an ALC, accredited land consultant, has held many, many big volunteer leadership positions in the Realtor Association, the commercial world, was awarded Land Realtor of the Year by the, uh, by the Land Realtors Land Institute. We're trying to recall all these acronyms. And eventually I was mentored by the CCIM Institute President, uh, 2017 Institute President, Robin Webb. I am blessed to be in Orlando, where there are a lot of instructors and leaders in the CCIM world. And so he hired me to NAI, and I worked for NAI for eight years. And then COVID happened. And so that's when I decided that I was going to 
start my own shop. And so here I am, six on my team, all specialists, and I've mentored many. And I'm just so happy and blessed to be continuing on with this journey. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing all of that and, you know, including the personal uh, journey that brought you into this industry as well. So interestingly, you joined local government or, you know, association involvement almost before you got deeply involved. Obviously, a lot of the women on the call or those that are listening are probably already in the industry. How do you think, you know, what's the best advice that you could give or where should somebody start if they're trying to figure out how to be more involved to leverage that for their business? You know, funny enough, a lot of people don't really visit their local cities or counties and create relationships there. I think that when you're working on a project, for instance, it's very easy just to rely on the internet and go on a GIS or local websites for the counties or the cities. But in fact, there is a lot of merit to you going down to City Hall, filling out a form, talking to someone across the counter and introducing yourself. The other thing too, is that if you've never attended a planning board meeting, you're missing out as a commercial real estate broker. First of all, you're gonna find out who is developing what. And that'll give you a really, really good sense of where the path of growth is. In fact, there are many applicants in zoning or rezoning or maybe a comprehensive uh, plan amendment that you would find are just owners, not represented by anyone. What a great lead generation strategy that is. So I think that even though you're an established commercial real estate agent or broker in your area, if you want to get into government projects, you'd probably want to have relationships with them. Also, you'd want to support political candidates as long as they align with your values, of course. Attend those meetings because before you know it, they're going to ask who you are, what you do, and that's really how you can get started. So let me um, let me ask you about the planning board meeting. So when you so in my in my town, for example, I, I show up to a lot of our council meetings to be informed. And planning board meetings usually are a separate committee. Did you put yourself on a planning board committee? Did you just go to any open meeting possible? Do you ha- do you share your perspective as a commercial real estate professional to help guide the the group of people? Well, yes. So I became a commissioner on the planning board because I was appointed by our district commissioner. So kind of to my point of making sure that you're getting connected locally in the political world, I think eventually if they identify you as someone who could, and of course you would have to express that you are willing to volunteer and serve your community. And if you are capable they will appoint you. And you know what? It doesn't really hurt to ask because a lot of us, I think, wait until we're invited, until we're asked, but you could just say to, for instance, your district commissioner or mayor or whoever it is that you have a a connection with or a network with, that you can say to them, I am willing to serve my community and if there's anything I can do to help you, please let me know. I think that that would help get you on these boards because these boards are normally appointed. You don't necessarily have to run for them unless particularly in your 
town or city that you have to run for election to be on these boards. So that is really key. And also your question about have I given my expertise when I'm in the dais? I remember that, you know, the whole community came out opposing this application. And I'd say there were about 20 speakers. Let me tell you, they were on two of the items of the agenda. And so the same 20 speakers would speak again for two minutes apiece on the second item because they want to be heard, right? And of course, they have the pitchforks out and they're saying, no, we don't want them here because they're going to run over our turtles and we want to protect our rabbits and, and our trees and, and all of that. And so oftentimes I would take a moment to say to the public in that meeting, especially if it's standing room only, and I remind them, I say, in as much as you have property rights, please remember that the applicant have the same private property rights as you do. So I do remind them that that is not just about them, but it's also about, by law, what is accorded to the private property owner. Absolutely. One thing that I noticed uh, that probably you could speak more to than, than I is that I always assumed that local townships and government had the same information as I did or more because you imagine that they should have like all this data at their fingertips and, you know, big brother and big government. And you're like, they must know everything. And like when I go to these meetings, like they really don't, they don't have void analysis. They don't have demographics information. They don't have the stuff that um, I know, at least for, for our brand, that some of, you know, that's, that some of the tools that we give to our brokers as being part of CBC that are just self-service, like local towns don't even have access or knowledge that that even exists. Um, I'm sure you've seen that on your planning boards, but what can you say about the gaps that you saw without having a commercial real estate person in the room? So definitely, I think that it is even more important for a commercial real estate person to be on a board, to have a voice at the table, because you're absolutely correct. You see, you have to understand perspectives, right? The staff, they are technical. In other words, they only can see what's before them and what is by code and their hands are tied. And so oftentimes they can't really see the big picture is because that's not their job. And so it's very important, I think, that when you have a client who is making application that you take the time to sit with say council members now in florida we have sunshine law and so i could not invite all two or three council members or commissioners to a lunch and talk about an item it's just it's just not possible i don't know how many states actually have that kind of law but we do and so what i would normally do is set up a meeting now they're public officials and they will have to meet with you if you need to speak to them. So you go through the right channels, sit down with them. You don't necessarily have to have a meal with them because that's probably not perceived to be the right thing to do. You would probably have an opportunity to speak with them at length, in detail, giving them the commercial real estate professional perspective. Because the people that are elected to these positions, and as well, the people that are uh, that are hired to be in the staff department, they don't have a background in real estate. So they don't really understand 
how retail works or how industrial works. They don't really understand. All they understand is you have a floor area ratio of 0.4 or 0.6. They don't understand how numbers kind of come into play. They don't understand how impact fees could could really matter to uh, development pro forma. They don't understand all of that. So even more imperative is that you as a commercial real estate broker give them that sort of perspective so that when they're on the dais and they're about to vote on your client's item, that they're well informed. As a matter of fact, I do encourage everyone to go up to the microphone and speak. And why not? For the sake of the public as well. And I've done that several times and it's scary because you don't know who's in the public, in the public forum, and you could be criticized, but this is the business you're in and it is your job to be a professional and to be an expert in what you do. Let me ask a question. Um, being that you go to the planning board meetings or you're, you serve on them, do you feel that you would have the same, I guess, rights or even almost responsibility to go to planning board meetings or town council meetings for your clients in areas in which you are not participating? So yeah. for example, you don't live in, let's say your, your, your project is not in the county in which you live and serve in, would you go to those meetings and speak up on behalf of your, your client? Absolutely. Um, here's the thing. We actually had a project that we were doing in Sebring, Florida, which is south of Kissimmee, even more south of Orlando. And this is a rural town. My first rule of thumb is always to speak to local government if I have a project that I need to represent, because you have to understand their permitting. It, it's always different in every municipality, city, town. Also, I like to speak with economic development. I always like to have meetings with them and have a sit down. And normally they would bring maybe three or four from other departments uh, during a conversation. And you will learn a lot about strategic goals for that particular area. And imagine, picture yourself being knowledgeable in their strategic goals and plans because you've had that conversation with them. You would then go to, say, the mayor or a commissioner or a city council member, and you would have a, a, an opportunity to speak so intelligently about how your client or your project or you yourself is a benefit to their community and also how you can contribute to their strategic goals. I think that's golden. That would really bring value to them for you. That's a great point. I'm deep in thought over some of the planning board meetings that I hear often in my town, right? So I live in a, I don't know, a what I would call a typical suburban, urban, suburban town, you know, an hour from New York City, but it's a quaint, charming town, in which case a lot of people don't love things being overdeveloped. And I say that in quotes for those that can't see me on video, because the perception sometimes by people is that any development is bad. And, you know, to try and help help people understand that, you know, you don't want rundown, dilapidated. But, and that goes in const, constant conflict with the same group of people that say, oh, my gosh, our storefronts are empty. Well, you know, you need to redevelop areas or you need to and you have to make it financially responsible and worth it for developers that want to do the project. And so I think there's so much education that can be had at the local level. But even to the I mean, it really helps educate the public because I see 
you know, it's usually the naysayers that show up, show up to these meetings that are just in direct, you know, conflict with wanting any, any development done. And so I could see that that is a huge value to have someone like you or somebody on this call really advocate for why there's benefits to the community. Correct. And the only way that they would listen to you is if you're going in there well-prepared. You understand the municipality's strategic goals, what they're trying to achieve. You would want to quote some of that because that would blow their minds. Because if you can connect what you're doing to how you can achieve that goal, how can they even tell you that you're speaking rubbish? I mean, the community would have to to say, oh, well, that makes sense. And that's really the goal, right? Is that when you speak, that you've made an impact and you, you've helped educate, like you said. I think that's important for all commercial real estate people. For sure. So thinking about how working with local government, planning boards, being educated, speaking up to the public, um, and thinking about how that helped you grow your business. Obviously, being on the local association got your foot in the door with a project and you leveraged a mentor, but how how do you, if you could, could you connect the dots of how that really translates to business growth, closing a deal, helping your client? Sure. If you haven't signed up for notifications from your local municipality, you should. Because there are many projects that they have to, they they absolutely have to put out there for an RFP. Now, if you've never completed a request for a proposal, it is quite lengthy. You do need a team to put that together. Sometimes some of our RFPs are probably 30 to 60 pages long. And you'd need to have good a good marketing team that could put something together that looks so professional. And you have to have a lot of research, right? And and of course, if you have a research department, that, that would be great. But RFPs are lengthy because there are certain questions you have to answer. Sometimes there are 12 questions, 20 questions, and you just have to answer them one by one. And, and then they're oftentimes submitted in a sealed envelope usually two copies or three copies, and you have to deliver them and have them stamped by a certain time. You could also attend the opening of the RFPs. And so you will be competing. Sometimes I've competed with only one person, sometimes several companies, some big names, but it's always good to participate. Now, it does take quite a bit of effort, but if that's something that you really like to do, I think that signing up for these notifications or bringing donuts and coffee to to the uh, the staff and tell them hey if there's anything that you think I might be a good fit for would you text me or or let me know i mean i think that's that's key this is relationship business even with local government yeah you got to have people on your side yeah for sure and some of it's still very low tech depending on where you live but you just do have to go in and talk to a human Exactly. And you know what? I think that the next generation, they are so used to going to the internet, but commercial real estate is still done very old school because you can provide information, but if the receiver of that information cannot connect the dots, that's your job to connect it for them. Have a conversation with them across a table or across a counter. And this way you can explain to them why data and information of this sort that you have submitted, it's crucial to what they're trying to achieve. For sure. 
when we when I first opened some of your notable transactions that I listed um, spanned different different verticals. Uh, I think one was land, one was multifamily. A lot of I think what we're kind of talking about tends to be mixed use or retail. When we talk about leveraging local government, is there a specific vertical that is best suited for those kinds of planning board conversations or is it just across the board? So there's always an issue when it comes to, I, I'll give you, I'll just tell you a story. I think that this would probably kind of give a little sense of, of how local government relationships kind of matter. So I sold a piece of dirt to a developer who was building a small strip shopping center neighborhood next to a Walmart neighborhood market store, seven bays, seven tenants. And I was hired to pre-lease the whole center. And I pre-leased it 100%. Now, in the meantime, I'm so well-versed with the PUD of the retail park because that's my job. So I like to read through a lot of these documents. Well, the first permitted use says retail. It's a retail park, right? So we did a lease for a nail salon and a barber. So when we delivered the space, the nail salon and the barber went to the city and lo and behold, they were told that their use was not permitted in that PUD. Can you believe it? Have you ever seen a shopping center that did not have a barber and a nail salon? It's crazy. So we had to go through this exercise of making sure that we understood what the problem was. We were told that the, we had to apply or the developer had to apply for a PUD amendment which took several months, about four months, before they can even be considered on uh, the council agenda. And we went through that for a couple of, of months until we heard that not only do we have to have the signature of the property owner, they require that all the property owners on the, on the retail park had to sign off on that. And so we were like, but that's ridiculous. We're not going to be able to get Walmart to sign off on that, correct? So I had a relationship with community development, economic development, and of course, at that time, because I represented a lot of properties in the city of St. Cloud, I had a relationship with city manager, a city attorney, name it, you know. So I wrote, uh, and sometimes you, you probably want to wait until you pull that card and kind of cash in on those relationships. So I contacted the city attorney, developer contacted the city attorney, and we were just saying, I'm sure, and this is this is how I interpreted it. And of course, again, speaking to the expertise which matters, I said to the city attorney, I'm sure that the personal services, which includes barber and hair salon, massage, et cetera, being that it's not named on either a permitted use or a conditional use or a uh, prohibited use, that when they created the PUD, I'm quite sure that they just did not see personal services as not part of retail. Again, going back to the fact that staff is their hands are tied because they have to look at the NAICS code and they found out that it's not connected to retail, believe it or not. So we appealed to the top guy in the city and a week later we got an email saying that the city had a meeting with the whole department, permitting, economic development, so on and so forth, engineering, all of them. And 
they determined that because they're trying to grow the city again, speaking to their strategic goals of economic development, that we don't have to go through the PUD amendment. And so they just pushed it through. So there are certain, yeah, they ju- there are just certain things that I think, to your point, a lot of the decision makers can do to be able to push things through. And that's where the value of your relationships and your expertise really, really matter. So long story short, finally, <laughs> my tenants. Now, I pre-leased the whole shopping center and... All of the tenants are my tenants, the landlord I represent. And now that we're 100% leased, it's going on the market, actually off market for an investment uh, property. And so I'm bringing in an offer to the landlord as well. So that's a really nice story about how that all kind of works. That's great. Yeah, that is a really great way to connect the work, the work with local governments and real client success. I wanted to ask you a follow-up question about when you said looking for RFPs while it's laborsome, obviously works for for your your business model, um, but that you might need a team to help put that together. How like what does that look like to you when you when you really start working on an RFP? Do you use the staff that you have in, internally? Do you outsource it? Do you like how, what? How do you even begin that process? When I was with NAI, that was really the beginning of when we started answering RFPs. And NAI has a big staff. Uh, Real Vest, over here in Orlando where I worked, we had a marketing department, we had a research department, and of course, several very successful brokers who helped me through some of the RFP questions. And so that really mattered in in those days. But but frankly, because I have a template and from those past RFPs and also because I've done it several times, it gets a little bit easier. Now, as far as outsourcing, I think that there's a lot of companies that outsource these sorts of things. And so I think teaming up with somebody in your office would be one thing. And probably relying on whatever your broker has is another. And having a conversation with your broker, probably saying, look, I want to do this RFP. Could you help me? You know, are there resources that are available to me? And if not, I think you would have to outsource and try to find maybe a company out of the Philippines and shameless plug the Philippines. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of, a lot of very really, really great technical people that uh, that offer their virtual assistance, right? As in, Let me as ask you an interesting question about, about outsourcing um, to outside of the country, actually, since you m- mentioned that. What are the expectations of either confidentiality or like legal, legally like needing to make sure you protect certain people's privacy or clients' privacy? Does that apply when you work with companies outside of the U.S.? So I have not worked with companies outside of the U.S., but okay. I do know a few CCIMs that do. As a matter okay. of fact, they're always telling me, hey, I hired a Filipino <laughs> company, and I'm just so happy and thrilled. Yay, Philippines! But they normally would just probably, if if there was a confidentiality issue, which I don't think would be so much of an issue if, in fact, you're working with one person overseas, now, they may be working with other clients, and you don't know. Maybe they're working with your competitors. Right. But have that conversation with them prior. 
because I think that they know how Americans work because yeah. they they're in it to succeed, not to sabotage you or or then not get any more business. I think that's bad for business. That's a good point. Okay, I'm going to take a deep breath and just, uh, is there anybody on the call that has a question for Veronica? I, I'm always full of questions, but um, I just wanted to make sure everyone felt open that they can just come off mute. Veronica, uh, I have a question. Sure. Leah? Uh, yeah, I'm outside of Chicago. So nice to meet you. Thank you for the presentation. I'm sorry I was late. Have you worked with communities that are nearby? Do they see it as a competition or do they see it as, you know, you're trying to help the, you know, the county or trying to help the region as a whole. So I'm trying to wrap my mind around your question. When you say nearby, are you talking about nearby like cities? Multiple, multiple municipalities. If it's two suburbs that are next to each other, do they see that as competition or do they think that, you know, together we can accomplish things? So most of the time permitting and, and comprehensive plans are really municipal sort of centered. And so if there was a cross of like goals, I just don't think that that they look at it as competition. So, but if you're referring to, for instance, you're going to bring a user, right, to this city right. versus that city. Well, I mean, come on. It's like <laughs> whoever wins. Right? Yeah. And, and it, it really just really matters what you have researched, right? How much do you know about each city or municipality's strategic goals and which is a better fit for your client? Because the truth is, it's got to be a good fit for both parties. It can't be mm -hmm. just the municipality that's going to benefit from the user coming into their boundaries, right? It's got to be a good fit for both. And I mean, you've done this enough to know that your client is probably the most knowledgeable about what's a good fit. So if he he or she actually engages you and says, look, we're going to answer the RFP here and here. I mean, at the end of the day, the client is really the one that's going to to make that decision of what is a better fit for them. And in the meantime, if this community really wants them, they're going to do whatever they can to compete with the other. So it's not uncommon, and I don't think it's looked unfavorably. I think at the end of the day, governments are, are really just, they, they just work, right, for the benefit of the community. And sometimes they're, to, to Christina's point, sometimes they're really not the best to make those decisions. Because mm -hmm. most of them don't even know real estate. Right, right. Okay, okay. I'm so glad Thank you asked a question, Veronica, just for your... Uh, if I remember correctly, Leah comes from economic development background. Is that right? I do. Yes. yes. And I, I just find them to be a little competitive. But now that I'm on the other side, you know, mm -hmm. trying to kind of make the region better yeah. um, in that same regard. So yeah, and, and, that. sure. And, and it doesn't really hurt to say, look, we're going to answer the RFP here, but we're also going to answer the RFP there. I think asking questions and asking for more is not a bad thing. When you were in economic development, did you kind of come across maybe a developer who said, listen, if you do this for me, I'll come. Just like Amazon does, right? They right, negotiate. Yeah, right. they negotiate right. what is the best fit for them. And the governments, frankly, who don't understand that are usually at the losing end. Right. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you for the question. Veronica, what do you, for, for, so a lot of my questions I think were, 
centered for those that really are curious about how to like start in um, and kind of join local government. But let's say for someone that's that's seasoned and really in it and maybe in a similar position with or, or even tenure with how you've been um, involved, what would be your nugget of advice for someone that's that's used to this that really wants to see that growth or really wants to push hard? Like, what do you think is a way to, to push forward in that way? You know, answering RFPs, and I'll tell you honestly, that government work is probably one of the most difficult that I've ever done, that I've ever done. And so if that's something you want to do, you could be an expert in it and you could continue to do that to get more projects. If in fact, that is in your personal strategic goal, right? And I think it starts with what is it that you want to do in the next three years, in the next five years. And if that's a good fit, I think it's worth learning and worth the investment in time and resources to create those relationships so that you could keep forging ahead and achieving those goals. Now, that being said, I think that it's not such a bad thing to be politically involved locally. Real estate is local. And so if you don't have those relationships locally, you're probably not at your full potential as a local real estate broker. So consider that that is an important part of your career. And at some point, you're going to need to leverage those relationships to be able to help your and support your clients. I think that that's key. Absolutely. What is your mix for your business with government and non-government work that you do? So, and you know what happens, right? You do one thing and you start getting phone calls for the same thing. I mean, it's just an, an organic, natural way of growing your business. So as far as I'm, my personal production, I think that in some way we have woven those relationships and certain projects with the government kind of about 25, 75%, right? So next year I am going to be developing property and it's really very, very exciting because there's only a handful of women developers out there. And it is so key to make sure that in the development process that you are an expert in the process and that you know the pitfalls that happen when you're dealing with local government. So there, so I think that we've come to a point where it's all interwoven. We definitely speak to challenges in the processes of the local governments, which helps our clients understand kind of why they have to be predisposed to certain disappointments, expectations, delays. And, uh, and, and so would I be submitting for a request for proposal in anytime soon? I, if there's something that fits probably, but I'm not one to kind of pitch for for anything that's out there. I really have come to the point in my career where I will get a call from local government. For instance, I've just been called in to one of the cities to represent them for their expansion of their fire stations. I mean, our county is probably one of the fastest growing counties in the United States. And so there's always a need for expansion everywhere. My goodness, you should see the traffic. 
holy cow. (laughs) (laughs) Funny enough, right? In a planning board meeting, for instance, they all have their pitchforks and they're coming to the microphone. They say, what are you going to do about traffic? Yeah. Then the next person comes to the microphone and says, when are you bringing more retail (laughs) or commercial development? Because we need that. In government, I'll tell you that one thing that you have to understand about government, and Leah would probably attest to this, is tax revenue. This is how they manage their staff and be able to build infrastructure for your community. And so you have to think about that kind of perspective, because if you can put yourselves in the shoes of the people you're talking to across the table, across the counter, then you're going to be a better communicator as to why it's a benefit for all the community, the government, your client and yourselves. That's the connection of the dots that you have to be so good at. And being a very good communicator, I think is so important. Be yourself, be authentic. I think that's, that's also so important. And don't forget that you always need to keep yourself educated, join the commercial real estate organizations, associations, if you're in development, join NAOP, ULI. If you are investment or or tenant leasing, you want to be with CCIM. In industrial, it's SIOR, you know, and so on. And so land, it's uh, Realtors Land Institute. There are so many organizations that's going to be able to help you and mentor you through the growth of your career. I will shameless plug for CBC is that we have a lot of great relationships with most of those associations. Yes. Um, we have a lot of representation for from those groups um, that will be at Global Conference or have been at Global Conference in the past. Um, we have an agreement with, I think, Realtors Land Institute, um, Land Broker Co-op, they're at CCIM education discounts. So there's a lot of discounted rates for most of, of what you just listed. Um, there's always room to, to add more to the list. So if there's an interest of something that we don't offer, let us know. But um, we are absolutely very passionate from a brand level to make sure that everyone keeps up in their organizations, associations, um, education. And, you know, in case folks don't know, uh, we say it all the time, but we have the number three most CCIMs of any brand uh, in the country. So we're, we're we're really we're really passionate about education at, at CBC for sure. Um, um, the other the other organization I wanted to mention is ICSC. Oh, it used to be called International Council of Shopping Centers, but they call it something else now, and I can't even tell you what it is. <laughs> it did not stick with me either. The other, I mean, I'll, I'll have to quickly look it up. But yes, it's not as it's not as uh, intuitive. Oh, it's still it's funny when you Google them. It's still um, it's still what's listed out when you when you actually Google them, which is kind of funny. Well, I just want to say, Veronica, thank you so much for being so detailed and, you know, well-versed in how you can get, you know, really involved in local government and what that can do for your business and how you can translate that to actual getting business done for your clients. I think that's a really important connection for everyone to think through. I appreciate uh, really just getting into the into the detail with everyone. Um, if anyone wanted to reach out to you um, to pick your brain, how could they um, get in contact with you? So my email address is Veronica at go, G-O, capital, C-A-P-I-T-A-L, stack, as in a stack of cards, dot com. And 
it, of course, Christina, you have all my information. If you want to reach out to Christina, I'm sure she'll be more than happy to connect us together. So I really do appreciate your invitation. And I wish all of these wonderful women all the success. They're probably more successful than than me. So I shouldn't even be, be talking as if you know they're not. But I do appreciate this time. Uh, it, it's just amazing when you can get a group of women. And by the way, shameless plug, I do have a podcast of my own. It's called the Women Influencers in Business and CRE. And we're making headway. I have interviewed a lot of very successful women, not just in commercial real estate, but in business. And Christina is going to be one of my next guests. guests so I can't wait. It's really amazing. I can't wait either. So for anybody on this call, don't forget to like, subscribe to, or, uh, you know, if you want to send it to your clients, feel free. Uh, it's CRE with CBC Worldwide. Um, it's on any podcast listening app. And then don't forget for those in the network, please register for GC. We should have some really great content for women there, as well as general education connection. Um, and I assure you, most people that come uh, find it very fruitful for their business. And, you know, we've had owners or brokers alike say, you know, coming to our conference and networking with within our group of people um, has paid for the event itself because they make the right connections to really do business. And we, we try to stay really focused on, on helping you grow your business. Um, so thank you all for joining. Veronica, thank you so much. I'll smile <laughs> for, the, for the social post. Um, and just reach out. Feel free, like I said, to um, share this once it once it goes live, share it. You can share it with your friends, with your with your clients. You know, whatever whatever feels right. Thank you so much.